On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we have an absolutely jam-packed episode. But before we preview today's episode, we would just like to address a bit of a controversy from the episode in which we covered the SEC futures bets. Now, some of you may have heard that we switched up the SEC East with the SEC West. Now, for those of you who listened and I saw the numbers, you guys listened, we were just testing you all to see who listened. So thank you to those of you who sent in your feedback. We know you are now listening to our episodes. For everyone else, you failed. Listen better. So back to this week's episode, we are covering around the NFL with training camp opening up. There are a number of storylines to cover like the New York football giants, Nathan Peterman and John Gruden, as well as Larry Fitzgerald's thoughts on his new quarterback. We are then going to segue into a little bit of Tour de France. Yup, you heard that right. The model's got some interesting info on the Tour de France, so you don't want to miss that one. Then we are doing our picks for this year's Heisman Trophy winners, as well as our favorite segment called Crossfire. Jam-packed episode, so stay tuned for episode 41 of Double Down Trent. Double down Trent, you might want to tune in Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win Pop culture to movies, let's start up the combo Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto Keep it authentic and it's always live So competitive, so you know it's always hype Make sure you subscribe, trust you don't want to miss Going all in here on Double Down Trent Hey, yeah, Double Down Trent, let's go This is Double Down Trent all right, welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host, as always. I am joined by my buddy and co-host, Aaron. Air, can you smell NFL and college football camps in the air? Things are just getting going. I am more than excited. I cannot wait for football to actually get going. We are 24 days away from college football and about 36 days away from NFL. Ooh, ooh! And every time I see a little ditty on Sports Center or coming across on my ESPN feed, it just gets the juices flowing, man. I'm just itching, itching for football season. Are you already on like the Eli Manning watch? You're just wanting to know where he is every day, all day, just to make sure that your New York Football Giants are doing okay. Are we not even a minute into this podcast and you're already <laughs> doing this? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> okay, we're gonna. We're going to save it for a little bit. We got a segment, but things are not looking good in Giants camp. And I got to say, I wasn't expecting much. I'm going in with low expectations, but man, you can't have much of a worse camp than the Giants are having. Dumpster fire does not even begin to describe it. No, not at all. Um, But we've got some announcements. Let's cover that and then we'll jump into some topics. Yep. So just to plug the podcast, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever the heck you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter at Double Down Corp and at on Instagram at Double Down Trent. Or we love website tra- traffic. You can ch- check out our website at doubledowntrent.com. And that's going to be a great way to stay connected with us, leave us voicemails, join the competitions that we're doing, especially for college football when that actually comes in 24 sweet days. Baby, yeah. Once football starts, you guys are going to want to be on the website. You're going to want to play against us and compete. So check it out. Listen to us. Uh, Text us if you're friends with us. Email us. We want to get some feedback. Uh, Whatever we can do that you guys want to hear, let us know. So before we get to college football later in the pod, can we talk NFL first? Let's do it, man, because 
there's a lot happening. And we touched on the Giants, so let's just let's just fucking go there. Okay. It pains me before the football season to have such a negative outlook on the season, but I, I just can't find a way to have a positive outlook. Is, I, is this already turning into a pseudo Dr. Melfi session where we're I'm like, I'm I'm getting the couch ready, okay? I'm like putting the pillow down. <laughs> I'm just bracing. It's it's getting close. And to make it even worse. You've got Odell Beckham out here, and he did a big article on GQ. He said some things and stirred up the news again. And and this is what all the New York Giant fans that I, I know, I'm, I follow, they're, they're all saying, like, God, I'm glad we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Well, guess what? What we're dealing with is shit. <laughs> a big steaming pile of shit, especially at the wide receiver position. Okay, I'm going to run you through what's going on right now. Sterling Shepard, who is a very good player, is now our number one wide receiver. Uh oh. He fractured his thumb, and that is Uh-oh. never, never good. Because <laughs> as a receiver, you get one jam, you get one ball that you weren't expecting, whatever it is. Maybe he throws a little zip on that one, and that's your whole season is gone. Our flashy, splashy free agent signing this offseason, Golden Tate, which I don't know why we even signed him, uh oh, is. Suspended the first four games. <laughs> so now we're down to our third string guy, Corey Coleman, a former first round draft pick. Guess what? Uh-oh. He tore his ACL. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's out for the whole fucking year. So everyone is like, oh, I'm so glad we don't have to put up with Odell shit anymore. Guess what? We have nothing at wide receiver. Nothing. Can I just read you some of the names of who you currently have on your roster who, to my knowledge, are not injured? Are, are you ready for this? <sighs> Please. I guess so. I'm a sadist. Let's go. Benny Fowler. I've actually yeah. heard of him. Yeah. He, yeah. Britton Golden. Got nothing. Never heard of him. TJ Jones. Mm-hmm. Got I've heard of him. But ne- yeah. Cody Latimer. I've heard of him. Yep. Alonzo Russell. <laughs> Sounds like a guy from training day. <laughs> Damari Scott. Never heard of him. Uh, we've touched on Russell Shepard and Sterling Shepard. Darius yep. Slayton. So I'm actually hopeful that he can perform. So he uh, was a, a fifth-round pick this year out of Auburn. He's a pretty good player. But as I was saying to you off-air, it's really hard for a really wide receiver to step into the NFL and contribute unless you are a stud. Okay? You've got to learn the playbook and – and you know you got to get familiarize yourself with the checks, the timing of the quarterbacks, and when you pick in the later rounds, chances are maybe you're not a great route runner, maybe you're not the quickest learner, maybe your hands aren't as great. So he's probably got some slight flaws, but he's going to be thrown into action. But he's the only guy right now that I'm like have at least a little bit of hope that he can perform. Yep, and you got two other rookies and Alex Wesley and Reggie White Jr. Um, also on the roster at receiver. So you're Reggie I think White Jr. Reggie White Jr., my man, out of Monmouth, New Jersey. All right. I like that. But is he related to Reggie White, the defensive end? No idea. Ah, man, that would be something. If that's it, hey, maybe. I'm going to hold hope on that one. Why not? This is what we're (laughs) we're doing at Giants camp now. And all the reports are coming out that Daniel Jones is looking terrible, which obviously you got to expect some learning curves here, but it's been, like, bad. Like, people on, on Twitter have been like, yeah, I can't even sugarcoat this. He did not look good today. So let's have a season guys. <laughs> we'll see. Do you think that it accelerates his development? If you have him play sometime later in the season after the 
you know, it's probably not going very well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know, it's a mistake to put him in right away. It's a mistake yep. for a lot of quarterbacks, but you know, some it's the right fit. Some guys come right out and start, and they should be starting. But Daniel Jones was a project to begin with. But I think based on how the injuries are going, how the season is shaping up for the Giants, by week eight, we're going to be in a really bad spot. And you know what? You might as well put the kid in. Um, maybe not week eight, but you know, maybe week 12, see what he's got. I mean, this is clearly Eli's last year. So let's send him off. Let's do all the right stuff and maybe see what you can get. But if, you, if the season is over by week 12, why not? Put him in there. Let him learn a little bit. Get you know, indoctrinated to the speed of the game and see what yeah. he can do. And the thing, the comment I've heard over and over again over the last week or so is that it usually takes about one or two years for the game to really start slowing down for these guys, whether it's a QB or running back or whoever, just getting them reps and allowing them to kind of really understand the speed of the game, what they should expect before they can start accelerating and actually making plays. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, I'm hopeful for you just out of your mental health. <laughs> Look, I, I love the NFL. It's my favorite thing on Sundays. I do nothing but watch football and gamble and fantasy football. I'm still going to watch the Giants. I still love the Giants. It's it's my passion. When the Giants are on, I will be watching. It's just I cannot go into the season with any more expectations than maybe a best of six win season. We shall see if that happens. So speaking of QB projects, yeah. How yeah. do you like how do you like Nathan Peterman landing with the Raiders? This is one of my favorite storylines of the year. Okay. I'm just trying to see what's going on, get some scoops at camp, and out comes John Gruden. And let's not forget that John Gruden for years was on ESPN as the the coach guru, the QB coach guru, and had QB camp, Gruden's camp. He comes out and says he is in love with this Nathan, Nathan Peterman guy. <laughs> and I can just hear him in his voice, that spider do why banana, okay? <laughs> that Nathan Peterman guy. That was a bad accent, but I'm trying. Anyway, um... Yeah, this is a gift from the gods. I thought Nathan Peterman was done. I thought there's no way any team could possibly pick him up again. But Gruden says something like, yeah, I know his film doesn't look good, but when you really watch it, you know, it's not all his fault. It's like, are you kidding me? Let's just hope that he's on there because I want to paint a picture for you, okay? They signed Antonio Brown, mm. one of the best wide receivers in the game, who's still, he's still got it. Let's be honest. He's electric. He, he arrived at camp on a hot air balloon, by the way. <laughs> you got to give it to him. That's pretty badass, but if I'm the Raiders management, I'd be freaking the fuck out. I'd be like, no, yeah. that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, fair. We are one Derek Carr injury away <laughs> from Nathan Peterman potentially throwing footballs to Antonio Brown. And if Antonio Brown thought Ben Roethlisberger was bad, wait till he gets some throws from our boy Nathan Peterman. <laughs> This is a guy who is uh, a Buffalo quarterback last year. I'm looking at his stat line right now, about 50% accuracy, 50% completions, one touchdown, seven interceptions in the little time that he did play. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that this is how it played out is that he got a start or he came in in the second half and in one half, he had four interceptions. Oh yeah. So, and it was something like eight passes. He had four picks on eight passes, something like that. So it was a spectacle. It, it almost got to the point where you kind of feel bad for the guy. And then the Bills kept trotting him out there. And you're like, this kid cannot play at this level. So I hope kind of Nathan Peterman figures it out. Like you never want to see someone struggle that badly. But I, I, I kind of want to see him and Antonio Brown on the sideline and AB just flipping out being like, what is going on? <laughs> 
Yep, I totally agree. Do you want to switch gears and go to possible quarterbacks that have a little upside? Yes, and it's a fantastic segue by you, my friend. (laughs) Um, News came out that Larry Fitzgerald, the wide receiver of the Arizona Cardinals, said that Kyler Murray, that he's never seen a rookie QB come in like him, that he commands the huddle, he knows the plays, he can put the ball anywhere, and he is just oozing out just superlatives towards Kyler Murray. And if we recall, I was very high on Kyler Murray. I claimed this going back before he even declared to be in the a eligible draft uh, candidate that I thought he would be the number one pick if he went into the draft. People call me crazy. And lo and behold, he was. So I am very, very excited to see what Kyler can do. But I also want to put a little caveat on this one because – Larry Fitzgerald has played 15 years, and in those 15 years, he has had 19 quarterbacks. Wow. That's which huge. is unbelievable for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Larry Fitzgerald is one of the best that's ever played. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's continued to produce despite having shit quarterbacks. <laughs> so I want to play a little game for you, Aaron. I know you are doing crossfire to me later in the episode, but I want to see how many of these quarterbacks you can name? There's oh. 19 of them. All right, so 15 years. So this is coming back. So he started around 2003. 2004 was his first season. Okay. All right, I'm going to jump around on you a little bit. So I last okay. year, I know the current Miami quarterback, Josh Rosen, yep. had to have thrown him a ball. Yes. And... I would bet that Josh, I actually can't remember if he started all the year. So it wasn't Sammy Bradford there as well. Yep. You got the two most recent. Okay. Now I'm going to jump because I remember Kurt Warner was yep. around the Arizona. So yep. I'll call him. There you go. Um, the other one I know, my boy, who I also think on the Cincinnati Bengals, Carson Palmer had to there be in Arizona for, for a while, USC. Yep. I'd be surprised if you get maybe one or two more. And the only other garbage one that I know, this will probably be my last, isn't John Shelton or John Skelton? Yep, John was, Skelton. There I just you remember go. he was like a third stringer that they had yeah. so many injuries that he had to come in. And I think yep. I'm, I think I'm tapped out at that point. Hey man, that is way better than I think most people would have done. So you got five. I'm gonna read them to you in order here because it is, it is fascinating. <laughs> so he starts with Josh McCown. Ooh. He then goes to Sean King, who I've heard of. Then is John Navarre. Don't, Don't know who that is. That Don't yep. know who that is. At all. Yeah, Kurt Warner, who he played, I think, three seasons with Kurt Warner. So he put up some Hall of Fame numbers in those three years. Then he got Matt Leinert, who I think we all thought was going to be good. Just didn't pan out. Tim Rattay. Never heard of him. Don't know. Brian St. Pierre. What? Is that a BC guy, I think? It might be. Hey, man, that's impressive if it is. Uh, Derek Anderson, who I remember, not terrible. Max Hall, never heard of him. Got nothing. You mentioned John Skelton. But then we got a guy named Rich Bartell, never heard of him. Kevin Cole, I do remember, but he sucked. He was a uh, Eagles guy, wasn't he? Yep. Yes, he was. Ryan Lindley, he kind of sucked it as well. Then you got Brian Hoyer, who people thought would have been better than he actually was. You mentioned Carson Palmer. Then we got Drew Stanton. Uh, Michigan State guy. Yeah. Remember him? Or was he Michigan? No, Michigan State. Wow. Okay. Uh, And then Blaine Gabbert. 
So our boy Blaine, and then followed up by Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen last year. So he's had a lot of really shitty quarterbacks, and it's kind of amazing he's elected to just play his entire career in Arizona. Well, I'd really like to think that Kyler is going to be his best one. So um, I'm sure the Arizona Cardinals will not be great this year, but I would love, and I think it's going to be a super exciting team to watch, and we'll be rooting for him and Larry Fitzgerald to stay healthy. Do you think he can produce? I mean, obviously he can't produce the way he did in college, but do you think Kyler is going to come out and just be a superstar? No. No? No. Mm. Sure don't. Okay. All right. Sure don't. I mean, <laughs> they've got a terrible offensive line. That's going to hurt. But you know what? They've got David Johnson. They've got Larry Fitzgerald. So, I mean, I am i don't think he's going to be a superstar right out of the gates, but I think he's going to show flashes, and it's going to come together near the end of the season for him. And don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean I wouldn't take a flyer on him in fantasy football because I think he has a really high ceiling. But uh, I just can't have my expectations for him, you know, the consistency there right at the beginning of the year. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, So that's around the NFL. The next segment is something that uh, you have been a fan of for quite some time. Years. Fascinating. Years. Years. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the tradition, unlike almost nothing else. (laughs) The Tour de France. Tour de France. And for folks who don't know, this is a bike race. This is road cycling. This is an event that happens every year in France. It is one of my favorite sporting events of the year. Now, give us some background too, because you are an avid cyclist. Give us a little information. Give us some background on some of the things that you have done in your past and why you're really drawn to the Tour de France. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into it. I used to be, uh, I used to race in college. I was a slow racer. Um, I've also ridden uh, across, you know, decent parts of the U S which were just a phenomenal way to see the country. But, um, I just love watching this because of the storylines. And I mean, a lot of the stages can be boring, but then there's stories within stories. Um, and once you're able to pick those up and kind of understand what are the skill sets of some of the riders, how do they work together? Uh, maybe some conflict that's happening, weather, et cetera. It actually, to me, gives you some pretty good TV, pretty, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Compelling. Ooh, okay. I was going to go with maybe boring, but <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think a lot of people could see it that way, but so, I think I was going to say working on that. Yeah. Can you give me pretend, but you actually don't have to pretend that I'm someone that hasn't really watched the tour de France pitch me as to why it is a fantastic sporting event to pay attention to. I think one of the best things I could say is that I love the teamwork and camaraderie that are required in this sport. So there's typically got, there's a a team of nine who start together on the tour and, you know, obviously they're mixed in with anywhere from, I'm guessing eight to 12 or 15 other teams. So you have a bunch of people in there up to 150 riders. And what's required is that because you gain such an efficiency by uh, drafting behind your team that you can save up to 25, 30% of your uh, Watts by riding behind your team or behind others, it just creates, creates a huge incentive for you to work together um, and you know make it an easier way to ride, save energy, and use that energy at the, the most opportune time. So I just love that. I love that requirement. And uh, it really causes some storylines because because some teams are going for certain jerseys. There's a King of the Mountains jersey. There's a sprinting jersey. There's an overall jersey, um, et cetera. So it just uh, makes it pretty fun. Now, cycling definitely does need to do um, something different in terms of keeping viewers uh, tied to their TVs, which it currently doesn't do. Um, but if you can get past that a little bit and just see the beauty of the sport, I think it's pretty fun. 
Okay, that's a pretty good pitch because I'll be a guy who watches a lot of golf and baseball. I recognize a boring sport or boring television sport. So, um, you know, I think it's something that people can get into. And I got a question for you, though. Again, another one. Obviously, the sport is or was riddled with scandal. Oh, yeah. Uh, two questions for you. One, have you seen the documentary Icarus on Netflix? Yes, I have. What'd you think? I, that was, well, one, phenomenally done. Yeah. Um, and amazing of how organized doping was at a national level for the Russian Olympic team. It's just yeah. totally over the top and the organization that they had set up in order to make that happen and enable their athletes to do that was insane. And my follow-up is, do you think cyclists are still doing some kind of blood doping slash gaining an edge? I would really like to say, no, I don't, but yeah, I think, I think it still has to be there on some level. I'd like to think that the sport is doing a better job of having principles and just keeping that out. And I've I recently read a book where some cyclists are actually starting to put a tattoo on that's a bar of soap and the word on it is clean mm. and that's starting to gain some traction. I'm sure it's not huge at the pro level. These are a lot of these guys are um, pro riders, but just not at the tour de France level. And they're trying to make a statement. So I think it's heading in the right direction, but I'm sure we're not quite there yet because the incentive for you them to dope to then get rewarded and winning is just huge. Yeah. Now I'll say if you put a clean tattoo and a bar of soap on your body and then fail a drug test, you fucked up big time. <laughs> that is a huge bad juju. But I will say, I, I kind of liken it to baseball in the steroid era where I, I, you know, that obviously was very similar where they got a ton of superstars and involved in steroids. But I still think to this day, people are probably, maybe it's not straight up steroids, but they're doing something to gain edge. Um, but I still kind of watch, so, you know, maybe it's similar with, with that sport, but, um, now give me this year's stuff. Give me some storylines from this year's tour de France that people should be paying attention to. Yeah. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to give you two different pieces of information. And I basically want to give you this as an appetizer for next year's tour de France to actually make you watch. And we'll okay. see if this, we'll see if this does it. Okay. All right, so, so number one, I'm going to give you a guy named Egan Bernal. He mm -hmm. was the guy who won this year's tour. He is the first Colombian to win, and he is only 22 years old. Wow. When you, when you were 22, what have you done with your life? <laughs> Are you sure you want the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I am not any better. So <laughs> he, he won this year, and the first storyline to me, he currently rides with Team Ineos, which used to be Team Sky. Um, they're one of the stronger teams in the tour. And you can imagine that someone like him, assuming that he continues to train and stay healthy, could be someone who competes in this race year after year. So maybe for the next 10 years, could he be someone that uh, is so compelling that we want to watch? He definitely has a, uh, I think, attractive personality in that he's gregarious. He shows his emotions. I'm still a youngster, so not a ton of maturity in, uh, in answering the questions. You can tell when he you know, he does it on air. But just someone that you makes you want to root for. So to me, if he, seeing if he can keep it together next year with all the pressure, repeat, um, and then continue would be something that I would tell you you need to watch for. Okay. And I like dynasties because they're interesting even in any sport. Even when Lance Armstrong was, uh, you know, obviously it was controversy, but that was that was fascinating to watch. Um, I think, by the way, a quick aside, at age 22, we were doing uh, dizzy bats, and I finally figured out how to spin and hit a camp. So <laughs> that's an athletic achievement. <laughs> that is. Good job by you. All right. The, the second thing is 
uh, I'm going to call it the weather is still king. Okay. And this, this reared its ugly head this year in the Tour, and I'm not sure uh, all of our listeners know about it. So in one of the latter set stages of the Tour de France, they were in a mountain stage, and there was intense amounts of rain, even hail, and there was a mudslide that happened um, on, on the, on the uh, hillside by the road that totally covered the road and made it impassable. Damn, so what happened? So what ended up happening is they canceled the rest of the stage. They stopped everyone at the top of a climb before they went down into a valley and actually hit the part of the road where the mudslide had occurred and gave everyone the time that they had at the top of the mountain. And to me, this is like just such made for television because this is something that rarely happens. The last time they said it happened was in 1996. Wow. And uh, the riders you know, we're so not used to this that they kept riding. So Damn. they actually had to pull because they're so used to just continuing and, you know, they never want to stop. This actually also happened in a, in a race in Italy. I don't think, I think it was last year. And one guy stopped by accident and the race was continued and he ended up losing. Wow. Um, so they're just ingrained to continue. They eventually had to be pulled off the road by cars. Um, they obviously stopped before they hit the mudslide part and they just couldn't, past the road and that was it so they ended up having a shortened tour just because of the crazy weather wow i mean i can't even imagine walking in the rain let alone doing a stage of the tour de france when it's pouring rain and mudslides happen on your feet inhale at altitude brutal. yeah i gotta say man it's uh it's compelling you got my you've you've piqued my interest okay now i'll drop a tarantino line it's like you had my interest now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> the one negative, though, you know, these stages start really early in the morning. And if you're going to watch the whole stage, you have to be in for three or four hours. That's just really tough to get on board with. So what I typically tend to do is try to catch the uh, the elongated summaries of the tours and just watch those. You know, those are anywhere from four to 20 minutes um, at the end of the day after they're all kind of cleaned up and I get my action that way. Okay. So are those available on TV or do you got to watch them on, uh, on, on some site? Yep. So I typically hit up YouTube and I can find a bunch of good content that's coming out. Okay, cool. I'll give a quick shout out to my nephew too, because he showed me a thing and he calls YouTube YouTube and he's searched it so many times that he thinks all you have to do is hit Y and literally, you know, it auto fills the things. He goes, yeah, you just push Y and there's you, there's YouTube. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, he knows what's up. Yeah, man. Uh, okay. We talked a little NFL. We did a little Tour de France. Let's get into college football, my friend. And the one thing that we wanted to talk about today was the Heisman race. Uh, We didn't want to go any deeper. We're still 24 days away from the season, but we actually wanted to put both of us on the spot to say who was our Heisman candidate. What does that look like? Why are we thinking it that way? Now, we're going to do a huge caveat at the beginning here. So. We know there are two huge favorites, two huge front runners based on their performances last year and how their teams are stacking up this year. And we want to make this a little more difficult by saying we couldn't pick either one of them. And the two that we're alluding to is Tua, the quarterback for Alabama, and Lawrence, the quarterback for Clemson. Those guys are both still around. They're both young. Both have phenomenal weapons at their disposal. So then we wanted to say, given the current odds, which we're seeing both of the two favorites odds at so for Tua, he's right around plus 215, 250, 225, anywhere in there. And for Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of Clemson, we're seeing him right around plus 235, plus 300, plus 275. So just in that area. Given them, let's put them to the side. Who else do we think might have a chance? Who else are we interested in? 
and why. And I'm going to give yeah. you a huge caveat of kind of a process thing at the beginning. Um, I just finished a book by Lockie Lockerson. Uh, it's this Twitter, Twitter handle. It was really well done. Um, if anyone has $9.99, I would recommend they could uh, Google it on uh, and find it on Amazon. It's you know easily sold. And his talked a lot about the process for how he identifies possible Heisman candidates. Okay. We know a couple things. So one, we know that quarterbacks are most likely to win just based on the their position and their criticalness for the team, right? You know, obviously I'd say they're number one, probably running back number two, receiver number three. And yep. then he also made the comment around, okay, the person who wins the Heisman is typically on a team that has at least nine wins, if not 10 or more. And that should really kind of, you know, distill your list of Heisman candidates. And you shouldn't be betting on someone who's not likely to make that criteria. So for me, just as I even, before I even get to the list, I'm likely to pick a quarterback who I think is on a quote unquote good team who can put up just some monster stat lines in the games. Whoa. Whoops. I was doing some research and apparently just shot out some noise. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm coming coming from before I even get to a name. Okay. Um, I'm with you there. I mean, obviously Tua and, and uh, Trevor Lawrence are the huge favorites here. Um, so, I mean, looking at the, these li- the list here, let's go through some of them and then we'll make our picks here. So uh, in order uh, after Tua and Trevor, the, the highest odds here, we've got Justin Fields, the quarterback from Ohio State, who is a transfer from Georgia. I don't think he's even taken a snap, maybe a few with Georgia. You got Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, who is obviously the Alabama transfer. You got Adrian Martinez on Nebraska, Jake Fromm from Georgia, Sam Ellinger from Texas, Justin Herbert from Oregon, and then Jonathan Taylor, who's a running back from Wisconsin, rounded out by Shea Patterson, quarterback for, for Michigan. Those are the top 10. Obviously, as you said, dominated by quarterbacks. Um, I, th- I think if you rule out Trevor Lawrence and Tua, it makes it way more difficult. So who do you got here? What, w- what would your dark horse be from, from this, this group? I'm going to take Jalen Hurts. Okay. And this is biased. Yeah. <laughs> I, I already hold a future on Oklahoma, but I actually think that he has a pretty good chance. So right now his odds that we're seeing are anywhere from plus a thousand to plus 800, which is, you know, right around 9% chance that he's, he's going to win. I would like to think in my head that it's better than that, but I have done zero analysis, but this is just kind of where I'm coming from. So the reason I like him, one, he's on a good team. Two, he's the quarterback. Three, he's already proven to me that he's a good player by his past performances at Alabama. You know, we know uh, Riley is going to be setting up the offense to do really well at Oklahoma. And to me, some of the defenses he faces in the Big 12 are just utter garbage that I could see his stat line going crazy on some of these games. So he would be the one guy that I would take, um, noting that I'm a little biased, but I feel like to me that he has a pretty high ceiling and uh, I might be able to hit gold there. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, I'm not going to pick it just to so we can make this interesting conversation here, but he, he is very interesting for a lot of reasons. Obviously, going into that offensive system that Lincoln Riley's got is is a huge advantage for him. He's not quite as athletic as uh, as Kyler, but he can run, he can move in the pocket, and he's got a really good arm. He's got experience. I really like that pick. It would be fascinating because that would mean there are three different quarterbacks in a row for Oklahoma. Have, would go on to win the Heisman consecutive years. Unheard of, yeah. Which would be insane. Like, Lincoln Riley will have a blank checkbook sent to him by about 100 different 
teams and programs in the NFL and college. That would be fascinating. Um, I'm who actually going to go. Who do you, got? Who do you yeah, have? Yeah. I'm going with a major wild card and I'm bucking everything we just said about quarterbacks. <laughs> I am taking Travis Etienne from Clemson. The Ooh, running back. Okay. He is, looks like I'm bavada about the 12th best odds. Uh, he's at around plus 3000 to win this thing. Now, Obviously, Clemson's going to put up numbers. They always do, especially with Trevor Lawrence. And if Trevor Lawrence is there, he's probably going to win it. But this is a deep dive. We're looking for deep cuts. Let me just give you the stats last year. 204 attempts, 1,658 yards, and 24 touchdowns with an average of 8.1 yards per carry. That is freaking insane. Insane. And by the way, the noise that we uh, heard there, that was me researching his stats from last year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to ask you, so, you know, you just told me what his stats were for last year. Mm -hmm. Do we think he's going to do better? Because based on that stat line you just gave me, he finished in seventh place out of the Heisman candidates. So do we think he's going to have a significant uptick to beat everyone else? Great question. Um, I I don't know. I think he has a chance to. I mean, he's got now experience. Last year was his real first season. Uh, you know, carrying the the majority of uh, the carries. That's a bad bad job by me. Um, but you know, another year in that system. You know, he feels comfortable. And I think obviously with the emergence of Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be hard to try and stuff the box and and really you know stop them from rushing the ball a lot. They're a pass heavy offense, but. I mean, those numbers are ridiculous, and I don't know why that offense will not continue to be as prolific as they've been. So, who knows? And last year, the Heisman was stacked, man. There's quarterbacks all over the place. It's going to happen again this year, but if you're looking for a real deep cut and you want to really, really gamble and likely lose your money, I think that might be an interesting one to look at. And uh, plus 3,000 comes out to be right around 3% chance of that he's going to win. Just to touch on some other ones of why I do not like them, Adrian Martinez, the quarterback for Nebraska, I actually don't think that they're going to hit the 9 or 10 wins. I actually don't think they're going to come. I don't think they're going to hit 9 or 10 wins. Let me just say that. Um, I think that's the same thing for Sam Ellinger um, out of Texas. I don't think that they're going to hit 9 or 10 wins, so I don't Whoa, think either of those two guys are, gonna, are good choices. And then the last guy I'll just call out is Shea Patterson, the quarterback from Michigan. His stat line last year wasn't great. He's more of just a, a game manager, so you're mm-hmm. not going to see the crazy stat lines. I think Michigan will end up doing pretty well, but I don't see him as a good candidate either. Yeah, and I kind of think you can say the same thing for Jake Fromm. He's not a game manager, but he's not a flashy, put up massive stats. He's just a just a good quarterback. The really interesting wild card for for me is Justin Fields. Man, we don't know what he can do. True, he's going to Ohio State. Their offense is changing up. Well, maybe not changing, but you know, Urban Meyer is no longer there. He's a major wild card, in my opinion. So, okay, so we will put this on our list to come back to as the season goes on and check in and see how we're doing. But I'm, uh, let's go, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Now, real quick, without giving too much thought, would you pick Tua or Trevor Lawrence? Lawrence. I think. I no. Have to. It's tough. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd pick him too. My my hesitation is that I actually wouldn't be shocked if Clemson loses a game this year. I think the team that they had last year was just one of their best ever, and they have to regress a little bit. You know, I know they have some tough games at Texas A and M and against South Carolina. I think their ACC schedule is probably pretty easy, so they're going to be able to get some good stat lines there. But I wouldn't be surprised if he loses one. I, I don't know. I just think he has an easier path in general, and some crazy stat lines could come from it. 
Okay. Interesting. I, I don't, I mean, it sounds pretty good logic to me, man. We shall see. Okay. Should we go into Crossfire? Crossfire, Crossfire, Crossfire. <laughs> so for folks who have listened to the podcast in the past, this is our segment that we ask each other questions. Now, we have created a list of questions that we have not shared with the other person. They are coming in totally just oblivious, closed, not knowing what they're going to be hit with. And this is a way for us to test their knowledge of trivia, of important movies, to really show off kind of what they know and don't know. Yeah. And, you know, you get to learn a little bit about us. So are you ready for this one? Yeah, man. It's like uh, the movie Bird Box. I've never seen it, but I know the people are blindfolded. So that's what, that's what we're doing. We're coming in here like a bird box, ready to <laughs> answer some questions. So I got to say, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little, little rusty right now. I feel like I haven't done any trivia in a while, but hit me with it, my friend. Okay, I'm coming to you with two sections. Section number one is what I'm calling movies from the 90s. Oh, baby. If I I don't do well in this, uh, you know. I figure this is your sweet spot. Now, the context for this is that we grew up together. We went to kindergarten together, and we started kindergarten in 1990. And I wanted to bring us back to that time and ask you a couple questions about some of the big movies that – I think I've seen every single movie that I'm asking you a question about. Whoa. And see if you could answer. And I anticipate you knocking this out of the park, but we'll see. Okay. All right. I'm impressed you've seen all of them. So, all right, here we go. First one is a true or false. Both Goodfellas and Home Alone were released in 1990. True or false? I'm going to say true. That's correct. Nice. How about that for Joe Pesci, man? Have a year. Big year. Uh, Number two, released in 1995. What movie is about a retiring police detective who tackles a final case and discovers a number of elaborate and grisly murders? He soon realizes that he's dealing with a serial killer who is targeting people he thinks represents one of the deadly sins. Man, I was at the very beginning. If you cut that off, I I don't I would have had some guesses, but I'm going with seven, man. What a good movie. That's correct. And there's a follow-up question to this. Number three. This might test you a little bit. Okay. Who are the four most famous actors or actresses in that movie? Seven. Okay. You got Brad Pitt. You got Morgan Freeman. You've got uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. And you've also got Kevin Spacey as John. Nailed Hill. it. Nailed it. Just I love that it. movie. I, I don't like scary movies. And that movie is, uh, I call it more of a thriller. Yeah. Uh, but Suspenseful. man, is that a good movie? One of the things I really like about that movie is how it's, how dark it's shot. So a lot of the scenes are always just extremely dark and you're trying to figure out what the heck is happening. And it, it just really creates a lot of suspense. And I think it's always raining too. Correct me. I might be wrong about that, but I, I believe they use rain a lot to just show like the impending doom of what's happening. Yep. That's definitely true. All right. And in, in the next question, number four in the movie, the usual suspects, which was released in 1995, where does the character Kobayashi come from? Kobayashi. Um, like talk to me about the meaning, the story of how that name comes about. Is okay. what I'm asking. I think uh, so. Kaiser Soze played also by Kevin Spacey. We got a lot of Spacey references in here. It could be oh, yeah. problematic, but anyway, <laughs> he's being questioned by the detective and he basically makes up an entire lie based on the pictures, images, and things he sees in the detective's office. I think Kobayashi was the name on the bottom of the coffee mug. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was the brand on the bottom of the coffee mug, and he saw it as he was drinking it. Yes. Yeah. 
Well done. <laughs> All right. Good job by you. There was another thing on there too that he, I think he was looking past the detective and it was on the bulletin yeah, board. Yeah. It was like a barbershop quartet in like Spokie, Illinois or something like that. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing twist at the end of the movie there. Ooh, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, okay. The last question from the movies in the nineties, you're absolutely killing it. In the movie, The Lion King, released Ooh. in 1994, okay. Simba collapses in a desert and is rescued by who? Hmm. There's a follow-up question to this as well. I mean, isn't it Timon and Pumbaa? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What, I, I was doubting myself. What kind of animals are they? Okay. Uh, Timon is a mercat and Puma is a warthog. That's correct. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right, I th- I figured you were going to nail that section, and you didn't disappoint. Woo! Now we're getting into the tough stuff. <laughs> this one, this other one is a little harder. <sighs> okay. All right, so we have college football and NFL both coming up, and I'm calling this section on the horizon. Oh, I like it. Okay. <laughs> All right, number one, pick an actor or actress. This there's no right or wrong answer, but I'm just putting you on the spot. Pick an actor or actress who's up and coming and will have a big time breakout role. On the horizon. Ooh, wow. Okay. That's tricky. Hmm. Try to think who's coming up here. Okay. This is maybe, maybe he's not an up and coming uh, actor per se. Um, Miles Teller is playing in the new sequel of Top Gun. He is playing Goose's son. I'm very interested to see what he does with that. Um, I'm trying. Who the hell is Miles Teller? See, he's kind of famous, man. So I know you wouldn't have got that one, but he's like, people know who Miles Teller is. He's been in a uh, whiplash, you know, the movie with, uh, he's playing yes. the drums. He's been in a, a few other things too. He's, he's pretty good. So I, I might throw him out there as a potential to watch. Um, the other movies I've got on my horizon right now are like massive movies, like the Irishman with Matt, you know, Martin Scorsese and De Niro and all those guys. So, um, excellent question, but I'm going to go with Miles Teller. Okay. All right. That's totally acceptable. Uh, number two, in the movie From Dusk Until Dawn. Do you like the reference to Horizon? Yep. Fugitive bank robber Seth and Richie Gecko hold up a liquor store, killing cl- a clerk and Texas Ranger. And then in the process, they inadvertently destroyed the building. Who plays Seth and Richie? That would be George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino. That's correct. Yeah, baby. I figured that went nicely with the Tarantino uh, podcast we just did. Or you all did. Good job by you. Thank you. Uh, number three. What is the movie name where, on April twentieth, two thousand ten, a drilling rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico, igniting a massive fireball that kills several crew members? I I haven't actually seen this. It's with Wahlberg, right? It's like something Horizon. Uh, Gulf Point Horizon? No. Uh, is it Gulf Point Horizon? No, you're oh. close. Uh, uh, something. Uh, point. Is, is it Point Horizon? Something with Point in Horizon? Uh, so it has Horizon. Yeah. I know it's got Horizon, but shit. Uh, I don't know. I'm giving up. It is Deepwater Horizon. Damn it. Yes, it is. God damn it. I should have known that. I actually haven't seen that movie. Uh, yeah. Damn well. it. I haven't seen it either, but you need to get it together and go watch that immediately. <laughs> okay. This one I'm getting right. All right. This one, the next one's a hard one. The horizon league is a 10 school collegiate athletic conference, uh, in the NCAA D one whose members are located in and near the Midwestern United States. How many teams can you name? <laughs> He's giving me a look of like utter wow. horror. <laughs> 
I don't I'll, think I can name any. I'll give you a hint. So you got to think of uh, the easiest way for me to think about this is college basketball. Like, oh yeah. And you got to go like Iowa State. No, uh, no, I was. Uh, uh, you got to go like Wisconsin. You got to go Ohio. Yeah. You got to go Michigan. Like Did that. Toledo in it? Uh, no, not Toledo. I think Toledo's Mac. Yeah. I'm going to start naming game. Mac teams. That's going to be the problem here. <laughs> um, man, that's a good question. You can't give me anything. I'm the, trying. The I'm one thinking. You, the best one that I would have thought you may know is Cleveland State. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here, Northern here, Iowa? Uh, Northern Kentucky. Uh, yeah, I can't name any of these, man. Give them to me. Uh, Wright State, Northern Kentucky, Oakland, Green Bay, UIC, Youngstown State, Detroit Mercy, IUPUI, Cleveland State, and Milwaukee. Holy fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you gave me an hour, I wouldn't have gotten those teams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was notably a hard question. All right. Are you, cut. Are you ready for the last one? I hope so, man. I'm trailing right now. This one's a little easier. You might have a chance. What is the movie name where, set in 2047, it follows a crew of astronauts sent on a rescue mission after a missing spaceship spontaneously and after a missing spaceship spontaneously appears in orbit around Neptune? Hmm. Hmm. Is it a Tom Cruise movie? No. So it was released in 1997. Think sci-fi. Oh, Contact? Close. Not, no, it has Horizon in the title. Oh, Event Horizon. Yes. God damn it. Yep, I knew that one. Uh, I should have listened to the clues. Yeah, you got it. That's with Sam Neill, I believe, right? Oh, I just closed and, it. And Morgan, uh, not Morgan Freeman, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, I believe. Ooh, that I don't know. Let me check here. Hold on real quick. Sorry, folks. This is bad, bad, <laughs> bad podcast. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne. Here we go. Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinlan, Joey Richardson. Yep. You okay. Got it. Fantastic. Well, I'm not going to count that as a correct. And that's like a half. It's a partial credit. That's half. You absolutely knocked out of the park. The first section about movies in the nineties, not shocking for anyone who knows the podcast. <laughs> uh, just seems like you need to uh, brush up on your basketball conferences and are, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you did an excellent job. I'll take that. That's a, that's a good, any, anytime you can get more than like six or seven, right? I think you've got to consider that a win. I would agree with that. All right, my friend, that was an excellent episode. Episode 41 is in the books. Like we said, follow us, listen, subscribe, give us a, throw us a freaking bone once again. Uh, we'll see everybody next week on Double Down Trent. Baby, look at me, look at me. Your money, you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.